Welcome to Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. I'm your host, Christy Stang. Today, I'd like to welcome Katie Grosh as our preacher. Katie is a third-year Master of Divinity student at Yale Divinity School. The intertwining of religion and ecology has always been an important part of her life, as she previously worked for an interfaith chapel, taught environmental education in Milwaukee, and studied geology at Carleton College. She is part of the United Methodist Church and calls the Great Lakes watershed home. Ben Bond, a third-year MDiv, will read the scripture passages for this third Sunday of Advent. Zephaniah 3, 14-20 and Luke 3, 7 through 18. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. As on the day of the festival, I will remove disaster from you, so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At that time, when I gather you, For I will make you renowned and praised among all of the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. A reading from Luke 3, 7-18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying on the roof of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats of false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation 
and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is most powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the reading for the Advent Candle Lighting Liturgy this year in the United Methodist Church, as we prepare this week to light the third candle in the Advent wreath. It's a reunion every time we go home, every time we embrace those we love, no matter how long it has been. It feels like sunrise, like the clouds are parting and the rain has ended. It is joy, nothing less than pure joy to grab hold of those who are home for us, who make home for us. Whether we wake up to them every day or travel many miles to see them again, it is joy to go home. The prophet Zephaniah tells us to rejoice at the thought of going home. The prophet tells us to imagine being set free, being unburdened, being released to live, to fully live in the grace and wonder of life itself, surrounded by those who love us like no one else. And then to live like that was our truth even now, even here. It is joy to go home. John the Baptist reminds us, however, that it takes choices to live in this joy. It doesn't just happen. We choose to make life a joy by how we love others, by how we serve and give and care for others, by how we do the job we do and how we impact the world around us. We build joy as we build a home in this world and the next. We light these candles, the candle of hope and of peace and of joy, as a sign that we are on our way home and we walk with a skip in our step because we see the destination and it is pure joy. It is time to go home. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Rejoice, my friends, happy Advent. This is the season of waiting, anticipation, and keeping hope, love, peace, and joy in our hearts as we look forward to the coming of the Christ child. One tangible reminder of this liturgical season is the Advent wreath. I'd invite you to picture it with me. A central white Christ candle, a circular wreath of greenery, and four tall candles coming up from the boughs, representing the four weeks of Advent. Three purple candles, and one candle a beautiful, soft rose pink. Pink! Why pink? Growing up, my hypothesis was that this candle must be celebrating Mary, an important woman in this story of mostly men. However, 
This candle color choice predates the pink is for girls construction. Instead, this pink color represents joy. It's bright, beautiful, a blushing warmth. It's like a flower standing out against the greenery. This pink candle brings an element of surprise and fun, signifying the joy of this day. But if our joy is tied up with the coming of Christ, why is this joy candle not the last candle before Christmas? Why put it in the middle of these four weeks? I can best explain using my psychological state on road trips. When I drive back to Michigan, where my parents live, and the place that I call home, the road trip is like 11 hours, which is a long time to be in a car. And after I had done this trip three or four times across the past few years, I realized a pattern. At about six hours into the trip, with about five more left to go, I would feel despondent. We had been driving for so long and I was so tired and yet there was so much left to go. That was the portion of the drive where I needed a pick-me-up, a Starbucks hot chocolate, a new playlist with upbeat music, a phone call with a friend. And likewise, on our way to Christmas, and we're a little over halfway there, this week arrives, called Gaudete Sunday, Gaudete being Latin for rejoice. And this isn't the only season where this pinkness happens. This liturgical color shows up in Lent as well. The fourth week of Lent is also pink. It's a reminder that even in the middle of a season of darkness and difficulty, there is light and hope and there is joy. I want to talk about joy and home. The repeated phrase in the candle lighting given for this day was, it is a joy to go home. And in many cases, this is true. Home is where the heart is. It's a place of comfort, care, warmth, and happy nostalgia. As Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz says, there's no place like home. And I'm sure that many of you can conjure up these moments of safe and loving homes. But for others, this can be more of a struggle. As much as home can be a source of this deepest peace and comfort, it can also be a site of stress, tension, pain, or suffering. For those experiencing poor housing conditions or domestic violence, home may not be sanitary, safe, or stable. For the unhoused migrants or the displaced, home is not a present reality. Home can be the source of our deepest longing. And so, Zephaniah gives us a vision of a home to come at a future time when God will rejoice over us with gladness, renew us with God's love, and exult over us with singing as on a day of a festival. Even in the midst of a not yet, we can envision a time when God will bring us home, gather us in, make us renowned and praised and restore our fortunes. 
How can we make this come to be? How can we prepare ourselves for this coming reality? In Greek, the word for home is oikos, and it conveys both the family and the household. In English, we've taken this word, oikos, and transformed it to the prefix eco, like in the word economics, economics, eco for household and nomos for accounts. So economics means household management, which we do through our finances, budgeting, and the sharing of funds. And so when the people ask John in Luke, how should we prepare ourselves? What should we do? John gives some economic advice. To the soldiers, he says, not to extort money by threats or lies and to be satisfied with their wages. Be honest. To tax collectors, he says, don't collect more than what is owed. Don't be greedy. And to the crowds, he says, if you have two coats, share with those who have none. And if you have abundant food, give to those who have less. Be generous. These are choices that we can make now. Through this oikos, our economic choices and household management, we can prepare ourselves and build homes where joy can flourish. I want to recommend to you all a book called The Gravity of Joy. It's written by the Reverend Dr. Angela Gorell, who was an associate research scholar at the Yale Center for Faith and Culture, and at her time here studied the theology of joy. She authored this book amidst one of the most challenging times of her life, in a time with a lot of personal and familial tragedy. In this book, she writes, Joy doesn't obliterate grief. Instead, joy has a mysterious capacity to be felt alongside of sorrow and even, sometimes most especially, in the midst of suffering. She also writes, Lament is the gateway to joy. So I ask you today, what are you mourning? How can you name and lament the suffering you've experienced? Can you cultivate brave spaces to honestly share your fears and your angers? I want to invite you into a space of joy, either current or retrospective. Perhaps today, joy easily bubbles up inside of you, glowing you warm in your heart like the pink candle. Or perhaps today, joy feels like a far-off memory. And if joy feels further away, I invite you into remembering. Can you remember a time when someone helped you? Can you remember a time when you felt cared for, seen, and loved? When have you experienced unspeakable joy? Let these memories be with you now, knowing that joy and sorrow can live in close proximity to one another. Zephaniah begins by saying, Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. If you know me at all, you'll know that singing is one of my greatest expressions of joy. Perhaps some of you can relate. And this time of year, Christmas carols provide that heartwarming cheer. 
One of my favorite Advent songs is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which sings, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. For the joy of the lyrics, this song, however, is in a minor key. Its melody is bittersweet. Rejoice is repeated twice, first in a major key, second in a minor key. Rejoice, rejoice. This music doesn't deny the present difficult realities we may encounter, and yet it still calls us to joy. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And so I say to you, rejoice in the middle of your long, long road trips when you desperately need a hot chocolate break. Rejoice. Students, in the middle of unfinished or not yet started papers and exams, rejoice. In the messiness of family dynamics and holiday drama, rejoice. In the midst of COVID pandemic waves and uncertainties, rejoice. Joy in the now and the not yet is an act of resistance, radical hope, and faith. We rejoice for the now and in the future moment, for God's promise that at that time I will bring you home. We find joy in the middle of our journeys. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen. This has been Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. Thank you for listening.